Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello and welcome to Breaking Down Bad Books, a podcast analyzing trashy bestsellers from a literary perspective. And today, surprise, surprise, we're looking at the movie, part one of Breaking Dawn. I was going to just jump straight into the next chapter, but seems like this is the perfect point to discuss Breaking Dawn since they split that movie into two parts, which is just such a cash cow. How do we feel about that? Whenever Hollywood decides to do that, it always feels like a cash grab. But like, you know, when they did it with the Harry Potter movies, there was more content in this movie. They get married. She gets pregnant. She dies. Nothing else happens. There's not a lot happening in this movie. And yet, I think it's the best one of the franchise so far. I fucking loved it. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, but seeing Edward and Bella play chess on a remote island, and every single time we cut back to them playing chess, she's closer to the horizon. Did you notice that? They're, they're in the, the house, then they're on the window looking out at the water, then they're on the beach. Each time she's losing, I could watch that all day. Anyway, yeah, so I thought it would be a good moment to look at the movie. And I think it's topical as well, because have you heard that they're going to, well, they're investigating, maybe thinking about doing a reboot of Twilight as a TV show. I guess that's the trend these days. And I don't understand why. I'm, it's not like these movies left anything out that was so important that we need to pick up. No major plot points were left on the, on the cutting room floor. I can assure you of that. And everything that they did cut out, I don't want to be seeing in the TV show. I don't know how they're going to stretch that into a 10 episode limited series. Like what? What? And just like a reboot of the plot of the books. I'd rather see backstory to some of the other characters. Show me what's going on with the Denali clan. Show me Jacob's ancestors first figuring out that they're wolves. Make a whole series about how Edward used to kill serial abusers and rapists. Let's do that. But anyway, no, we're going to get apparently a Twilight reboot. What the hell? What the hell? I saw someone on the internet say, unless they hire people who are just as bad as acting as our three actors in this movie, then I'm not interested. So we start with a montage of the invites for the wedding going out. Jacob gets the wedding invite. He's furious, so he pops his top off and he goes for a run. I don't know if the movie explicitly makes out that he then goes missing on his own for weeks and weeks and months and months. That sort of isn't alluded to. Well, it's alluded to, but it's sort of not really developed in this film. And I'll say a lot of the Jacob stuff's not very developed. We got so much Jacob with his POV chapters that I just got so like worn down this war of attrition, just getting accustomed to having Jacob be the main character. But the movie's like, fuck that. We don't need to go that in depth with Jacob. We don't need six different scenes of him talking to different members of the pack. We don't need that. So they cut it. Him going to imprint on someone at a park in Seattle, cut. The director just said, you know what? People aren't watching this movie for Jacob. And yeah, we're not. We're not. So yeah, everyone's getting the invites. Charlie's depressed. Renee's like, woohoo, on the worst green screen I've ever seen. She's always like, Phil, Phil, look, we got invited. We're always talking about this Phil character. I don't know if he's ever gotten a line of dialogue. We've never seen his face. We just see his neck in an over the shoulder shot. <laughs> Phil's a mystery to me. And then, and then we go to Alice and Bella. And Alice is trying to train Bella how to walk in heels as if she's a friggin' Martian that's never seen a pair of high heels before in her life. She's walking like a newborn gazelle. And uh, 
Like, I get that not everyone can walk in heels, but they're acting like she's never even ever tried it. Meanwhile, Alice is in the little kitten heel. She's in the shortest little pumps I've ever seen. And I'm like, you're the, you're the boss of heels? Please, if you're listening to this, pause it, go put on the movie and look at Alice's little kitten pumps. Because uh, I've never seen a shorter heel. Never, 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 never. And it's just like the goal of you to be training Bella how to walk in a heel when you're practically wearing a flat. Not that there's anything wrong with flats, but Alice is like queen of the heels and that's the tiniest little pump. And while that's happening, Edward's just on a balcony staring off into the forest. And Bella's like looking up and like watching him. And he's apparently oblivious being like, oh, I I can't tell that my girlfriend's downstairs just a little bit away looking at me. As if she's like caught him in this big secret act. And I'm like, he's a vampire. He, He can hear your heartbeat from miles away. He's so attuned to you and your smell and he hasn't noticed that you're peeping up at him. I think he knew. I think he knew. There's always dumb shit like that in this movie. Like the director thinks we're stupid. At one point later in the movie, Jacob says something out loud and then the camera zooms in on Edward's ear. We get a major close up of Edward's ear to indicate to us that Edward can hear what he's saying because he has super hearing. And it's like, oh, thank you for letting me know that he has super hearing. Meanwhile, you're the dumb ones because Edward can read minds. So we didn't need the, the zoom in on the ear. He, he can hear Jacob no matter if Jacob speaks out loud or not. But no, the movie treats us like we're dumb. And are we dumb? I mean, yeah, kind of, kind of. We're watching this shit. We're enjoying this shit. We're dumb. And then Bella's packing up her bedroom because apparently she'll be moving into Edward's house after she gets married, wink, wink, when really we know she's going to Rio to get railed for a couple of weeks and then becoming a vampire. But I guess as far as Charlie knows, she's going to be moving into the Cullens' house, which is weird. You'd think the newlyweds would maybe move into their own house. If I was Charlie, I'd be like, why are you just moving into your in-law's house? Can you guys maybe not rent an apartment? Oh, they're going to university. That's right. That's sort of dropped in the movie, actually. I don't even think we hear about university. I don't know what Charlie's thinking in all of this. And I think Charlie, like the actor, does a good job because he's always looking upset and depressed about Bella leaving. And he's very stoic about it. But the actions don't make sense in themselves. Like when she's pregnant, she calls him and she goes, oh, I'm sick. I'm going, uh, don't freak out, don't freak out, but I'm actually going to Switzerland to a medical center there. And it's like, well, of course he's going to freak out if, if you're so sick, you have to go to a medical center in Switzerland. And she thinks that's the best lie. And he goes, oh, okay. And you're telling me he never even just drove past the Cullens' house to double check or maybe consult with the doctor that lives there. If I was him, I'd be like, oh, I know Bella's uh, allegedly in Switzerland, but I just wanted to have a chat to you, Carlisle, and see if you knew what the fuck's going on with Bella, because apparently she had to fly to Switzerland. So while I admire the actor's acting choices in the script, he don't make a lick of sense. Anyway, so it's the night before Edward's bachelor party and he's revealing to Bella about how he used to kill people. And she's like, oh, that's nothing. And he's like, no, seriously, Bella, I've actually killed people. And we get a flashback to him watching an old timey vampire movie, which I thought was a bit on the nose for a vampire to be hunting prey at a vampire film. That just seemed a bit too on the nose. And Edward's got red eyes and we're meant to believe that he's going to be stalking this poor woman who's just trying to go to the bathroom in the middle of the movie. But no, Edward's stalking people who are killers and rapists and abusers. And so Bella's like, yeah, she could not be less fussed. She was like, oh, that's fine, Edward. They deserve to die. So, well, could have had a trial first, Bells. But she, she's like, yeah, Edward. They were all murderers. You're fully justified. She says, you probably saved more lives than you took. And yet that may be the case, but innocent until proven guilty. I mean, I don't even know if these people had committed the crimes yet. Was it it just thought crime? Was there a pattern? If he's got these skills to be hunting down these killers, can he not perhaps do that now and, and capture some serial killers that are out there? Like, was he just aware of Ted Bundy and ignored Ted Bundy? Did the character of Edward not care about Jeffrey Dahmer's victims because they were gay or like, why did he stop? Why did he stop? Is it just because Carlisle said maybe stop killing murderers? I don't know if he's got the capacity to catch murderers and kill them. Can he not get to it? Instead, he's focusing all his efforts on this plain Jane from his biology class. So yes, it's his bachelor party. Still no bachelorette for Bella, which I think is an oversight. 
And Emma and Jasper keep like jumping up to her bedroom window being like, send Edward down. And then they'll go down and then Jasper will jump up and he'll be like, oh, there's banging against the house. And again, can Charlie not hear? Like Charlie's the most oblivious person for a detective. Every time when I read the books, when I read that someone was jumping up to a window, I thought they were being discreet. But no, Emmett, Emmett's banging up against the side of the house. You'd feel that. Dust would be rattling down from the roof. They're not being very discreet. Uh, so she continues packing up her room. She's got this dog portrait, which looks like one of the ones you would draw yourself. And I don't know if, I don't know if she's ever had a dog. The set design person on this film was like, oh, we've got to throw some shit on the wall. So they have this dog portrait in her bedroom. And first I'm hearing of a dog. So then she has a little nightmare because you know, that's a trope in these books that she'll have a dream and then that'll help her think her day thoughts. It's, she's processing everything through dreams. I think it's a crutch of Stephanie Myers that's translated into the movies, but she's having this wedding dream. And honestly, the dream wedding looked far more chic than the actual wedding. Her dress in this dream wedding's much nicer. Edward's wearing this lovely white suit. Everyone's wearing white. There's a white carpet and all these rose petals, but then it turns into blood and the Volturia there. And she's like, oh no, this is scary. But until that point, very chic. And then it's the morning of the wedding and she's getting all dolled up by Alice and Rosalie helps as well. And I get they're going with the whole Alice loves fashion. She designs clothes storyline because this room has like all of the designer bric-a-brac. There's this giant pair of scissors in the background, which is honestly so distracting to me. I don't know if, if scissors that size actually exist in real life, apart from like cutting ceremonial ribbons. What is, she, what is Alice doing with this giant pair of scissors? Again, please, if you're listening, pause it, go to the movie. It's nine minutes in, you see this giant pair of scissors. Like, is she using that to cut fabric? Surely not. Surely not. And Alice is all, oh, I told you to get sleep last night. You look like shit, you stupid idiot. And then she's like, oh, I'm going to have to spend hours putting makeup on you, Bella. And then (laughs) she puts barely anything on her. They act like it's some masterpiece. Alice is like, look at my masterpiece. It's just a little bit of lipstick, maybe a, 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 a smattering of blush. A tiny smoky eye. It's not even a smoky eye. It's like, what's, what's less of a smoky eye? Like a foggy eye. She's got a foggy eye and that's it. That's it. She, she looks bloody natural. She looks the same as she did before the makeup. And they're all like, wow, masterpiece, Alice, you've done it again. Meanwhile, Renee and Charlie are looking at the graduation cap mural. You know how they've got that mural of all their graduation caps? And Charlie's like, that's pretty fucking weird. And Renee's like, oh, it's avant-garde. It's cute. How fun. And I'm just thinking, did the vampires not think to hide that? Like you're hosting a wedding, you're hosting a party. Maybe, maybe put that in the garage. You know, it just, it leads to questions that maybe they don't want to be answering. But no, (laughs) Renee's like, I love it. It's art. And Dal, it's not art. It's crap. So then they go down to the wedding. It is the sunniest day. Not one of those vampires is glimmering. Like I know there's like a canopy that's meant to be blocking the sunlight allegedly, but everyone's in full sun and there's not the tiniest little bit of shimmer or glimmer. And like, I think the director has just dropped that completely because later at Isle Esme, Edward's doing hikes in full sun full fucking sun with just Bella around and they still don't give him a little bit of CGI sparkle. So I think they've dropped the idea completely, which is annoying because that's the whole reason that they live in Fox. It's the whole reason that they lived there a hundred years ago and they're back now because it's the cloudiest place in America. In the books, if it's a sunny day, they don't show up because Carlisle, the doctor likes to take them hiking, wink, wink. But in the movies, they're like, yeah, let's get married in full sun. Fox is no longer a rainy place. The continuity of this film series is just very frustrating. And so Jess got the call up to the wedding. I didn't even think they're that close with Jess. Jess and Bella aren't friends. They're they're like barely acquaintances. And I think Jess is the most relatable character in this film because she's like, Bella's probably pregnant. Like no one gets married at 18 unless you're pregnant. And they're all like, shut up, Jess. And I'm like, well, no. In a real world, Jess would be right. And also... Bella is going to pop out a kid in like two weeks time. So Jess is going to be vindicated. She's going to be like, see, see, she, look, she's got a kid. Are you all going to apologize to me now? 
So she walks down the aisle. Stephanie Meyer is there with a little cameo and that made me barf. As I said, Edward doesn't look as nice in the real life wedding than he did the dream wedding. And you'd think it's Bella's happiest day of her life, but nah, she's just walking down that aisle, grimacing the whole fucking time. She can't even crack a smile. Everyone she knows is there. Not that she's looking at him. She's just looking at Edward. And she's still not smiling. She looks constipated. She looks constipated and afraid. And I just think this, this girl needs to cheer up. I mean, she looks just like she did in New Moon when she was actually depressed. And she's, it's, I, I suppose it's because she's all breathtaking because her husband, well, her fiance at this point is so fucking handsome, but he's just up there looking like a goof as well because he's in full, full sunlight wearing a shitty suit compared to the dream suit. Maybe that's why she looks so concerned. She's thinking, oh, my, my dream wedding was prettier than this. And I don't know the logistics of Edward actually getting a marriage certificate. What documentation does he have? Do they have a forger on the books that is just giving them constantly like new IDs, new passports? <sighs> How is this wedding legitimized in the courts is what I want to know. And another thing about continuity is like, they're no longer that pale. He's a little pasty, but meanwhile, we cut to the audience. Carlisle is white as a fucking ghost, but Esme's sitting next to him and she's got a summer glow. She just looks like she did a self-tanning application last night. So they're all, they're all wildly different shades of pale. It just, oh, it, it makes me mad. It makes me mad. So they get married. They kiss. And she actually does crack a smile. Lo and behold, she cracks a smile. This Kristen Stewart, she's so bloody wooden. Oh, she's dreadful. She's dreadful. Everyone's making small talk, including, you know, poor Mike and Jessica. I miss those guys, those crazy kids. Seth the werewolf's there, but he's not alone in the movie version. Billy and Sue even showed up. So that's something. Billy wore his best cowboy hat for the occasion. Something bold about wearing a cowboy hat to someone else's wedding, you know? Like, uh, I get it's a fashion choice, but should you really be wearing cowboy hats to, to a wedding? I, I, I think there's probably an etiquette rule against that. And then we meet the Denali vampires, which I guess is important because they'll come into it in the next movie. But in this movie, they got nothing really to do. Just one of them's just staring at the wolves because she's like, oh no, they killed Laurent. Oh, how dare they show their faces when they kill Laurent. Laurent was a dirty dog. I'm sorry. Laurent tried to kill Bella. Like, I mean, who hasn't tried to kill Bella? But you need to let that go. And then we get to the speeches and it's the wildest collection of people who have been called up to speak. Like first Emmett speaking and I'm like, yeah, okay, he's probably the best man. And then Jessica comes up, Jessica. And I, I, I just said, I don't think they're that close. And I don't think they are. And she's even roasting Bella and Edward during her speech. She's being so shady. She's calling Edward the hair, which is a very like, 90s terminology, isn't it? I don't know how she got the call up. And then Renee's singing a lullaby. A lullaby. Renee is the worst. She's singing a lullaby at the wedding and everyone's sort of just watching it being like, ha 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 ha. This is great. Meanwhile, Charlie's threatening to gun down Edward if anything ever happens to Bella. And yet, as we see later, Bella goes to Switzerland to a medical fucking center and Charlie does nothing. Charlie does nothing. He's like, oh, okay, Bells. All right, bye. And then even Esme got the call up to make a speech. Esme, Esme. I mean, good for her. It's good to see her doing something. But I, I, I just don't understand who picked who to speak. And meanwhile, they're using the same cutaway reaction shot of Edwin and Bella for every single speech with Edward just grimacing. I think, I think they reused the same shot multiple times because they had the same reaction to a lullaby as they did a death threat, as they did to like nice words from Esme and shade from Jessica and jokes from Emmett. The same reaction to all five speeches. Oh, and even Alice got to speak. Alice got to speak as well. Did anyone there not make a speech? Did anyone not make a speech? Meanwhile, every, every table has these huge candlesticks, these huge open flames. They're in a forest. Open flames in a forest. I disagree. This is a poorly planned wedding. Go back to the dream wedding. This is shit. And so then Jacob arrives at the fringes of the wedding. And I think he's taken a leaf out of Billy's book. Something about that family dressing inappropriately at a wedding because Jacob's wearing white, which I thought was a choice. That's a choice. Like Jacob, you're not marrying Bella. Hate to tell you. Hate to tell you. But this fucking Bella, she goes up to Jacob and she says, oh, now my day is perfect. 
What? In front of Edward, what a slap in the face to the man you just married. Like, oh, you were not having a good day until you saw this guy in the, in the edges of the forest. This guy who showed up wearing white. Now you're having a great day. It wasn't perfect before that. I would have been so mad if I was Edward. He lets her walk all over him. She acts like she's so sweet and innocent butter wouldn't melt, but she's a bitch. And I don't know if Taylor Lautner was just directed to mumble every single word, but he mumbles every single word. He's like, Bella, Bella, you look so pretty. Uh, Bella, I'm going to miss you when you're dead. And he's all like, it's weird wearing clothes again. Like, you, you think it's weird. You forgot how to wear clothes, did you? After being in wolf form for a couple of months, even though you were a human for 16 years. Completely forgot about clothes, did you? And Jacob and her are doing like a little dance and he spins her around and gives her a twirl. And that's when we see she's actually wearing sneakers. She's, she's wearing flats. She's wearing sneakers. So, so much for the heels lesson from Alice in the Kitten Heels. She's just wearing sneakers. And you know, on that, I say good for her. Cause yeah, she's so clumsy. She probably would fall down the aisle. But okay, yep. And so then uh, Jacob's like, oh, this is how, this is how I want to remember you, blah, 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 being alive. And she's like, what? So I'm going to be dead to you? And it's like, yeah, bitch, you'll be dead. She's so upset that he's going to treat her like she's going to be dead when she's dead. Like, I know you're a vampire, but you're still dead. And she's all insulted by that. She's, she's so stupid. I also love that she's disappeared at her own wedding and seemingly no one has noticed. (laughs) Like Jacob gets angry and Edward has to come down and rejoin her. And we hear the audience at the wedding, the crowd's still like cheering and things. And I'm like, the the happy couple are here. What are they cheering at? (laughs) It's not them cutting the cake. It's not their first dance. What are the crowd cheering at? Has anyone noticed that maybe Bella's not in the room? And I don't think they have. I don't think, I don't think anyone really likes Bella. I don't think Jess and Mike are like, oh my God, has anyone seen Bella? They're having the time of their lives having that free champagne. They're cutting loose. No one gives a toss about Bella at her own wedding, which is just rough. So there's a slight tussle with the wolves, blah, blah, blah. Cause Jacob is mad that Bella's going to get the dick on a honeymoon night. You know, fair enough. Because he thinks that'll kill her, even though he's already grown accustomed to the fact that she'll be dead soon. This is just one straw too many. So then Bella, she lets her hair down. She gets changed into a different outfit to then go traveling to the honeymoon. They say their goodbyes and then her and Edward are off to the airport, I guess. And what I... Okay, I didn't like in the books how we got every leg of the trip. We got to the airport. We got to the check-in counter. We got to the bloody first class lounge. We got to the flight. We got to the stopover. We got to the next flight. We got to the other stopover. We got off at Rio. We went through customs. We went driving down to the docks. We skip a lot of that crap in the movie, which, you know, of course you would. But what I don't understand is she's still wearing this little getaway dress once she lands in Rio and they act like they just left the house, drove in the car and ended up in Rio. That's what I don't like. And I'm like, she wore that dress for that whole flight, that whole like what, 12 hour flight, probably with a stopover, even without a stopover. You'd think she doesn't want to take that little belt off, that little belt that's around her waist. She looks like it's been five minutes, which is just ridiculous. So they get to Rio and they drive via a street carnival because there's always a carnival happening in Rio. They have a little makeout session on the street and then they're over to the docks. He's jet boating over to Isle Esme. Still don't know who turned the lights on of the island. And she's like, oh, so we're not, we're not staying in Rio. And he's like, nah, on to the next place. And then she's like, okay. Whereas I'd be like, actually, Edward, I wouldn't mind seeing Rio for a little bit. Like, I know we saw the street party carnival, but what if I want to go up to the Redeemer statue? What if I want to see a museum? What if I want to go to the beach? And he's like, nah, I don't care. I've been here before. So we're just taking you to a secluded island. I don't care if you want to be a tourist. I'd be annoyed. What if she'd wanted to see the sights? So they get to Arles, mate. Again, she's wearing the dress. She's holding her shoes acting like, oh, I've just taken my shoes off. And I'm like, bitch, I know you can't walk in heels. I know you weren't wearing those shoes earlier. And Isle Esme does look beautiful. I mean, I'd stay there for a couple of weeks. Looks great. But I'd ask to be on the jet boat back to the mainland to see the sights. Oh, and back to the shoes, because I'm really distracted by this. She's still holding the shoes, walking around the house, and they are legit like a nine-inch heel. She just wore sneakers for her wedding 
And, and you want me to believe she wore this huge high-heeled shoe from Seattle to Rio on a plane, then through a street carnival, and then on a jet boat, and just now she's taken them off and she's carrying them around. Put them down, Bella. You don't need to carry them to every single fucking room that you're going through. And I don't think she wore them. And there's candles lit in this house. Who lit the candles? Who lit the candles? So Edward's like, let's go have sex in the water. And she's like, I need a human minute. And fair enough, because you just had a huge flight, a huge flight. And we see when they go home, it was a private plane, which makes more sense because, you know, in the books, they fly commercial. But still, a huge flight on a private plane, you still want to have a shower. And so she's like, yeah, I need to go have a shower. But then she's shaving her legs, shaving her legs. And I'm like, did you not, did you not already shave your legs on your wedding day? Like how much fuzz has built up since this morning? Because they're acting like it's been just a couple of hours. I mean, I know it's a day of travel. And she's so jittery. She does this huge blurst, a blurst of toothpaste on her toothbrush. Like she, she just goes and squirts out so much. It's like dangling into the sink. What a, what a feral animal. What an animal. I know you're nervous about losing your V card, but like, can you maybe not just be a bit more restrained with the toothpaste, Bella? Oh, this Bella. Anyway, so she has a full on shower. And then she does go meet him in the water. And I know the book was like, the moon is so bright. I can see everything. It's the brightest moon I've ever seen. And yet this actually looks like studio lighting. She meets Edward in the water and it is the brightest thing I've ever seen. I can see every hair on Edward's chest. I can see every pore on her face. It it is so bright, comically bright. I've never seen a moon that bright. It's brighter than daylight. So then we get a little sex montage, which is nice. He breaks the bed. And the next day she wakes up, there's feathers all over her. And then I was confused because we get more scenes of them having sex. And I thought that was happening like after the first time they had sex. So I was like, oh, look, a little sex montage to show the passage of time. This is so refreshing that he's not guilt tripping her about how much he bruised her and how he's going to stop having sex with her and he's not going to withhold it from her and she's not going to manipulate him into having sex with her. Like we're skipping over that. But no, it was just a flashback to her thinking about last night, even though we just saw it. So I don't know why we needed a flashback two seconds later, but that was, that was an odd choice. And so yeah, she is bruised. She is bruised. And so he's like, I'm not doing that again. And she's like, oh, what a bummer. And so this is when we go hiking in the full sunlight with the no glittering. And then she's playing chess a lot. So much chess. I don't think that would have happened unless it was the book cover. I think the only reason they're playing this much chess on their honeymoon is because it was a book cover. And he's winning every single time. You'd think he wouldn't let her win once. Like that's your wife, man. That's your wife. You're already a supernatural being. Like you make her feel inferior enough just by your existence every single day. So could you not maybe have just thrown a game just once or twice, just thrown one of the games, just once, just once sacrifice a bishop or something just to, just to give her a little bit of leeway into the game. But now he's like, well, no, no, I'm going to win every single game of chess on my honeymoon. And as I said, each game, they move progressively closer to the ocean, (laughs) which is so funny. And then she's wandering around in a lingerie, trying to turn him on. And he's like, no, I'm not going to have sex with you. No, I'm not doing it. And then she has a dream about them playing chess, which, God, I'm sick of the freaking chess. So she has a dream about them playing chess. And then she wakes up and he's like, what's wrong? And she's like, I just wanted it to be real. I wanted it to be real so bad. And I'm like, what? What, for what to be real? Playing chess, you've been playing chess all honeymoon. Or was he letting you win in that dream scenario? And then they have sex. So in the book, I thought she was full on dreaming about having sex with Edward. And that's when she guilted him into having sex with her. But no, she's dreaming about chess. And yeah, I mean, they make out after the chess game, but it's not like she was having a full on sex dream. She was having a chess dream, which is crazy. Meanwhile, Jacob's on the beach at La Push and all the imprinted couples hang out on one end of the beach where it's all sunny, they're having a great time. And the non-imprinted wolf pack people, they sit on the other end of the beach where it's sad and dreary. (laughs) It's so weird. I don't know why they're so segregated, but they're not even close. They are like a hundred meters away down the beach, just having fun in the sun with their partners and the miserable single people are over in the cold. It's so funny. And then there is a shortcut away to one of them playing at the beach with a kid that they've imprinted on, which was, which was hard to process, honestly. It was a tough one. It was a tough one. 
Um, and you can tell that, yeah, the director was like, just a small cutaway is enough. We don't need to talk about how Quill imprinted on a kid. We're, we're bad enough we're going to imprint on a baby later on in this movie. Let's just ignore the rest of it. So that was a quick touchdown with Jake. Then we go back to Isle Esme and the two local housekeepers come. And I think her name's not Soiree anymore. It's Quare or something like that. I don't know. And she's, she's not into this. She clocks him as a vampire straight away. And I mean, it's not like he's trying to hide it. Like they destroyed that bedroom. That bedspread that he destroyed, they didn't even try and clean up. They're like, oh, the housekeeper's coming today. I could shift most of the debris into like one room or try and tidy up, but they didn't tidy up at all. Not at all. And my mum used to hire a cleaner when I was a kid living with her and you'd always clean up for the cleaner to come, you know? And they did not make any attempt to clean. He's a superhero with super strength and he couldn't have just moved that headboard to one side of the room, but no, they just, they just left it a bomb site. And then poor old Soiree, she's the one that's got to clean up and move the headboard outside to the tip. Like, I just think that's rude. So Edward goes to the mainland to hunt. She makes herself some breakfast. She cooks chicken, which she thinks is bad because it makes her throw up, but really she's pregnant. And I think she figures out that she's pregnant so much quicker than she did in the book. In the book, she was going through dozens and dozens of eggs, having those vivid dreams, being hot, being cold, throwing up. And in this one, she just vomits once. And then she looks in her like toiletry bag, her amenity kit. And I said, she stumbles across the biggest box of Tampax I've ever seen in my life. And you know, that is actually the first box of Tampax I've ever seen in my life. But are they all that big? It is comically large. It's the same size box that like four kilograms of cereal would come in. And I love that Alice packed her that many tampons, like just a whole eight month supply of tampons. I don't, I'm probably not the best person we're talking about this. I don't really know what I'm talking about, but it was just, it was a really big box and it felt like product placement in a way. Um, Okay. So then she's like, well, I'm pregnant. (laughs) Even though it's like not possible. It's impossible on so many different levels, but she just holds a belly. Doesn't even do a test. And she goes, yeah, I'm pregnant. When did you get that certainty bells? But she's like, well, explain the chicken and the no period. Yeah, I'm pregnant. No other way to explain it. I would have just thought I was bloated because she's not showing very much. She's got a bit of a stomach cramp and she's like, yep, that's me. I'm pregnant. And I, I would have thought of 10 different other reasons. So Edward goes catatonic. She gets the phone because the phone's ringing and it's Alice. The housekeeper, Soiree, she comes back. She looks at Bella's gut and she goes, Mort, which is just so funny. What a baller move to just go up to like the house guest, the, the people that own this island. And she's like, yeah, that, that baby means death, doll. Safe travels. Honestly, Team Soiree or Quaray or whatever the fucking name is. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part, for every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, 
luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. So they fly on the PJ back to Seattle. Bella calls Rosalie, blah, blah, blah. Charlie and Billy tell Jacob that Bella's sick. And so Jacob just does what I thought Charlie would have done and just goes to the Cullens' house. Bella and Jacob just have a gab. They just have a little chat. Everyone's just watching. She's got that horrible blanket made out of the shirts that her mum made her. Remember, she made that horrible blanket made out of shirts from their vacation trips. So at least she's using it. I guess Bella likes it. So she throws that off, sees a huge pregnant belly. And Jacob's like, oh, no, you're pregnant. And so pregnant so quick. I don't think he realizes how quick it is. But he goes to Edward and he's like, you did this to her. And it's like, well, yeah, (laughs) it wasn't you. Who else is she fucking? They have that fight about how she wants to keep it. And then he runs off to the wolves. And then we get the, the most ridiculous scene I think I've ever seen in my whole entire life. So all the wolves are talking with, but there's these CGI wolves just growling at each other with the, with the voiceover (laughs) of like Jacob and Sam talking. So we're just looking at this snarling CGI wolf. (laughs) with Jacob's voice coming out and like the words don't match the growls. Let's just say that. And the wolves, when they're in a scene on their own, they look tiny. They actually look like little foxes. And I don't know if this is an inconsistency thing again, because I feel like in New Moon and Eclipse, they were huge. Well, they're meant to be huge. They were like the size of a full grown human being, like in height. But in this one, when they're just talking to each other, they look so tiny and cute. And I think that's just probably a scale problem. Maybe they are still big when they're fighting other full-size human beings, which I think happens later in this movie. They, they, they look proper, but when they're all together, they just look dogs having a chat. It looks like doggy daycare over at the timber yard. Anyway, that, that scene is bonkers. <laughs> it's, it's bonkers. But the wolves are like, yeah, we're going to kill Bella. And Jacob's like, no. <laughs> so Jacob refuses to kneel. He runs off. And I don't know if it's the next day or later that day, but he comes running out of the forest as a human, fully clothed. He's wearing a shirt and pants and shoes. I don't know where he got those clothes from because when he turned into a wolf, they all shredded. So I don't know. He's, he's fully clothed and he's about to go talk to the Cullens and then Seth rocks up also fully clothed. So it must be like a day later. I don't think it matters, but I'm just a little gypped because Taylor Lawton is mostly clothed in this movie. Every time he's in his human form, he's got a shirt on, which doesn't make any sense. And this is when Jacob's near the house and Edward's on the balcony and we get the zoom in on Edward's ear just to indicate to us that he can hear what Jacob's saying. (laughs) And then Leah comes up. Leah, they're nicer to Leah in the movie compared to the book. Um, But you can tell they still hate her. So, okay. Leah joins them. Jacob has a chat with the vampires about the treaty. Again, it feels like there's so much progress in this Jacob storyline instead of just being like bogged down in like 800 different conversations like we had in the book. So that's, that's great. He's already like treaty, treaty schmeedy. Like who cares about that? And he's like, yeah, I'm the pack leader. Why not? Why not? Like just, yeah. Every, every choice Jacob seems to make in the book just happens in the movie. It sort of seems like he has less agency, sort of, or there's just less deliberations over things. I don't know. We get montages of Bella just incubating that fetus. Every time someone describes it as a fetus, Rose is like, it's a baby. It's not a fetus, it's a baby. And it's like, well, I'm sorry, it's not birthed yet. But okay, let's not get into that. And then Edward, <laughs> Edward goes on yahoo.com <laughs> to- to research vampire babies. Yahoo! What does Yahoo know that Edward, who's been a vampire for 100 years, and his foster dad, Carlisle, who's been a vampire for like 500 years, doesn't know? He's on Yahoo, of all things. Yah fucking who? Yahoo. And I thought, is this a joke? Is this a joke? But no, it's not. Yah fucking who? And Esme's running out sandwiches to the wolves. Poor Esme. Get her something else to do. Poor Esme. I hate how, like, Everyone has just like this 
awesome vampire life and she's just stuck at home making sandwiches. It, it feels backwards to me. Maybe that's what she wants and you know, all power to her. But like from an optic standpoint, it's like, oh, Carlisle's a successful doctor. He goes and saves lives every day. Uh, and Esme, she's a, she's a homekeeper, which is, you know, a very important job if that's what you want to do. But it just, yeah, optics wise, I'm like, eh, could she not have done something else? Even in the storyline, she's just relegated to walking outside with no dialogue, handing a sandwich to Jacob and just like giving him a smile. Now let the poor dear do something. Give her something to do. So while Esme's making sandwiches, Carlisle's set up a whole hospital in the house and they're having a conversation between him and Bella and Edward. And they're saying how the fetus isn't compatible with her body. And it's like, oh my God, no way. Oh, wow. The half vampire demon spawn is incompatible with her body. Who? What a thunker. So then Edward's complaining to Bella being like, hey, you meant to be all pro-choice. Well, where's my choice? He's like, you've not given me any choice in this whole scenario. We're meant to be a team. We're meant to be married. He's mad at her. And I sort of see where he's coming from because he puts up with a lot from this Bella. And she puts up with a lot from him, like, of course, but uh, she is, she's a lot of hard work. She's hard work. And really, he just wants his new wife not to die. I mean, he wants her to die at his hand. He wants to kill her, but he doesn't want the baby to kill her. And I mean, is that fair enough? I don't know. So then we get a scene of her getting into the bathtub and she is skin and bones. She's Callista Flockhart in this biz because she looks emaciated. Like I know it's CGI, but foof, it is confronting. And Edward doesn't want to see it. I mean, he's looking, but they shut the door on him. And I'm like, I wouldn't want to see that either, Edward. She looks horrible. She is skin and bones apart from that big belly. And then we cut to, they're all watching football. This big house, they're all in the same room. They're all just crowded around on the couch watching the Super Bowl or whatever. Jacob's warming her up with his forearm. <laughs> She's like, can you warm me up, Jake? And he just puts his forearm on her like arm, which both are covered with fabric. So I don't know how much extra warmth he's providing her, but she's like, thanks, Jake. Anyway, so she's hungry. And this is when Jacob's the only one to have the bright idea that she maybe might need to drink blood. Maybe the vampire spawned once blood. And they're all like, wow, Jacob, great idea. And he's like, well, it's more of a side comment, but okay, go off. So, so then we have her drinking the own egg. <laughs> and this is so silly. It's so silly. You know how in the book, Edward's like, don't get a clear glass. Don't get a clear glass. So they get a sippy cup and everything. (laughs) So they do that here, except the blood comes out in a glass. And then Edward, a meter away from Bella, in her line of sight, gets the clear glass full of blood, pours it into like a takeaway cup (laughs) with a straw on it. Oh, so now she can't see that it's blood. Even though the, the dirty glass that was filled with blood is sitting on the piano, clearly visible. And then it's a clear plastic straw. It's a clear straw so she can see the blood. <laughs> I mean, we can see it. It's stomach churning. Just watching that blood go up that straw, a yuck. But she loves it. It tastes great. It's just what the baby needed. I don't get how Jasper's so fine with it. Jasper's just sitting on the other couch, just watching this. Whereas, you know, in New Moon, she got the tiniest little paper cut and he went fucking ballistic. Like, I get that it's different blood. Like, blood from a blood bag might not be as appealing as fresh paper cut blood, but still there's six or seven hungry vampires in a room. They're all just like, oh, well, look at that. She's drinking a whole sippy cup full of blood. And not one of them is like, hey, can I get a hit of that? And I don't think they bother to even heat it up, which is gross. I mean, drinking blood is gross, but if I had to drink it, I'd maybe, I'd maybe want a warm cup. And you can see Edward, as time progresses, He throws a blood bag in the bin and it's the only thing in the bin because none of them eat apparently. Um, And yeah, there still seems to be blood residue in that bag. They're all talking about how they haven't been able to go hunt because the wolves are patrolling. So they're all starving and yet none of them thought like, I'll just lick around the blood bag. if, if, If it were me, if I was one of those vampires, once the gist of the blood's come out of the bag, I'd lick the bag, you know? Like, is it gross? Yeah. But if I'm hungry, I'm hungry. I'm going to lick the bag. So this is when Bella calls Charlie and she's like, we're going to Switzerland. And he's like, cool. (laughs) And then when she gets off the phone, Edward has a chat to her. And then he's like, wait, what was that? As if she said anything. And it's like, well, she didn't say anything. And you know that because (sighs) it's the baby telepathically talking. But like, does the baby talk in the same voice as Bella? You can't read Bella's thoughts. So 
when you heard it in that room of just the two of you, you'd have to think she was talking out loud, but surely you know her voice enough that you can distinguish it between an unborn baby. But I digress. So then he hears the baby. Meanwhile, yeah, it's just the two of them in the room. Rosalie's not watching guard, which is weird. In the books, she wouldn't leave the couch. But Rosalie's just, I don't know, off playing Xbox or whatever. Um, so they're just having a cute moment where they're talking to the unborn fetus, sorry, baby. And yeah, he's communicating with it via mind powers. And I'm not too sure how he can read her mind. I can't quite remember what Renesmee's powers are, but it's some mumbo jumbo about her powers being the reverse of her parents' powers or something. So I guess she didn't inherit Bella's shield blocking power. She's got the reverse of it. So he can read Renesmee's thoughts. I don't know. Stephanie will explain it eventually to me. And so then Jacob comes and he's like, oh, look at the lovely, happy couple. So he's annoyed. But he goes downstairs, he talks to Carlisle and Esme, and that's when they say, this is the last remaining blood bag. And they have to demonstrate it by putting the blood bag on the bench. And Jacob's like, so that's the last of it, huh? And I'm like, why are you guys demonstrating with the blood bag? Carlisle just needed to say to Jacob, oh, we've run out of blood. But instead they've got to like show like, oh, here's the last remaining blood bag. Here's a visual cue. I don't think that was necessary. So they're like, we need to hunt. And Jacob's like, yeah, all right, I'll, I'll go talk to the wolves. Let me handle this, guys. So Jacob goes and talks to the wolves in what is possibly the darkest scene I've ever seen. While there's a super moon over in Rio, back in Forks, the moon don't work so great because I am squinting and I cannot see anything. I'm squinting Tarantino over here and I can make out vague shapes. And it's sort of like those Wicked posters. Guys, have you seen the Wicked posters? Oh, they released the Wicked posters. One of Elphaba, one of Glinda. I couldn't see shit. I couldn't see shit. I was hitting that brightness and I was still squinting. Squinting Tarantino up in here. I am so sick of movies without any light. And yeah, I'll critique it when the light's ridiculous, like that scene in the water at Rio. But is it, is it that hard to get a fucking boom operator or a lighting operator just on set or even in post to just brighten that shit up because I'm not making anything out. Um, okay, so then Esme and Carlisle they go running out for some Oneg. A couple of the wolves intercept them. There's like a little mini fake fight. And this happens later in the movie as well. The wolves fake fight with the vampires, even though it's like, we know they're fine. Like they're doing those punches where there's evident plot armor. We know none of these characters are in trouble because it's part one of the fucking movie. It's not even part two. We know that Seth's not gonna die right now. We know Esme's fine. And yeah, it is, it is good to see Esme at least fighting a wolf. They gave her something to do, which is what I was asking for. So that's nice, but I can still only see half of it because it's so fucking dark. So I thought that was going to be Jacob going to the wolves being like, I'm the alpha, back off, treaty's broken. But instead it was just him being like, surprise, I'm distracting you so they can go out hunting and finding Oneg blood, gotcha. And then Jacob's back in the house. And they're talking about baby names. Oh boy. Oh boy, the baby name. Still just as horrible in a visual medium as it was reading the book. Just completely dreadful. At least Rosalie isn't on board with the names. At least she's there saying, not crazy about the names. They're actually um, not that great. Whereas in the book, they were like, we love the names. I think that's the best change in this movie so far. And I feel like the movie or the directors, the cast, they're winking at us in this moment. They're like, we know this is terrible. We know that name's dog shit, but it's in the book. You guys love the book. You see in the movie, we're winking at the audience. Like, they're like, this is one of Stephanie's ideas that we got stuck with. Just like, let it be. And I think that happens with the imprinting as well. They're like, we know this is fucking bonkers. (laughs) Like, guys, guys, we know, we know. Don't blame us. This is in the text. Because they're having a whole debate about whether or not the name's too weird. And Jacob's looking like, yeah, it's fucking weird. (laughs) So they know that we know that they know that we know that it's a stupid fucking name. But that's what it is. And it's at this point that she drops the sleepy cup and everything goes to shit. The baby breaks Bella's back. Her spine just practically snaps in two. And it is honestly the funniest thing I've ever seen. And then we're doing like emergency C-sections. Yeah, we've, we've skipped so much. No running around the park. No taking Edward's car for a drive and flirting with people in Seattle. We just we cut all that crap. I do think it's a shame that we didn't see the scene of Leah 
going off at Bella. I think that would have been nice to see actually, just Leah calling Bella out on a bullshit, but nah. So Rosalie makes the incision and it's her blood that makes her go crazy. And yet she was fine with the sippy cups. Fine with the sippy cups, but this blood, she went fucking nuts. But they cut the fight between Rosalie and Jacob. Jacob's just there delivering the baby the whole fucking time. So it's Alice off screen making sure Rosalie doesn't go crazy. I'm, I'm disappointed in that. That fight between Rosalie and Jacob in the book was actually a little bit exciting. So kind of disappointed and befuddled that they would cut that out of this film that has no conflict. We're doing fake fights between Esme and Quill. Fights that shouldn't be happening, but, but we're skipping the fight that's actually in the book. That's, that's weird. So she pops out Renesme and it is a full grown baby. Like I know that baby grows at an accelerated rate, but that, that's a toddler. That is a toddler in Edward's arms. And Jacob's still there. You know, in the book, how Stephanie was very careful to describe Jacob as not looking at the baby. In this one, Jacob's just in the room, like la da dee, la da da, staring full at Bella holding her bloody baby. So I don't know why he has an imprinted at that point. I, I feel like that's a plot hole. And also, I don't think the baby bites Bella. She's just like, oh, I'm dying. And they're like, oh, shit. And Rosalie's like, I'm fine now. I'm fine now. Let me take the bub. Oh, and also Bella's not naked during all of this delivery, which is a great change because the description of Jacob being like, I finally get to see Bella naked. That was a bit gross. So Jacob's doing the CPR. She's, she's dying. She dying. Edward starts shooting her up with that syringe full of his venom. I would have loved to have seen how we got that venom in that syringe. I would have loved to have seen it. Cause like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what it is. Is it his saliva? Is it his saliva? Because he's kissed her before and she's not turned into a vampire. Like surely there's been a time where he's kissed her and she's had like a cut on a lip or a cold sore or something. And his saliva would have gotten into her bloodstream that way. And she's never turned into a vampire. So I just don't know how this syringe full of his venom exists because it's some sort of like clear liquid. I think it might be spit. I don't know. I don't know, maybe I should go to Twilight Wikipedia or something. Or if anyone knows, let me know. So yeah, she's dying. The, the boys are really upset. I do like that we see like the insides of her bloodstream. That's kind of fun. That was kind of fun. Um, Jacob goes outside to have a little cry. He thinks that she's full on dead. Seth's also having a little bit of a cry. Leah's not. <laughs> Leah, it just looks pensive. <laughs> I don't think she gives a shit. And the wolves, the other wolves are there as well watching the scene from the bushes. Edward's doing chest compressions on her and he's got blood all over him, blood on his hands, blood on his face, because I think his lips brushed against the baby's head, which was full of blood. And he's not, he's not even licking his lips. Now that's restraint. I'm pretty impressed with his restraint. And he's biting all over her body because I guess the syringe full of venom didn't do the trick. So he's like, I better start biting this chick. And she looks full dead. They're really trying to fake us out that Bella Swan, protagonist of the film, dies in Breaking Dawn part one. Like it's called part one. Do we think anyone ever went to the theater being like, oh no, Bella's dead. Well, I guess that's a bummer ending to the saga. So yeah, Jacob's crying on the lawn. Bella's dying upstairs, but her bloodstream's going crazy. Rosalie's got the newborn in front of a fireplace, which must be purely aesthetic because none of them need a fire to keep them warm because they're, they're ice cold blooded vampires that don't feel the cold and are cold. But they've got the fireplace roaring, I guess, for the baby's benefit, even though it's half vampire. So who knows what it needs or wants. And Jacob's like, you know what? I'm going to go inside and I'm going to kill that baby, which has grown in the past five minutes. And it's now this huge CGI monstrosity that's just looks like eight months old. And he starts imprinting on it. Oh my God. He's talking about how the center of gravity's shifted or whatever. And he's having these visions I guess of Renesmee as like a 16 year old or something in this horrible wig, just human wolf form. And the, and Renesmee is a 16 year old in the bad wig running around the forest. And it's like, okay, well, again, you can't tell me it's not a sexual thing. If he's already picturing a future together with her as an older woman, still not over the age of 18 in that vision, but like he's not picturing the baby. I don't know. It's creepy. It's still creepy. I don't know how they could have done it not creepy, but it's creepy as fuck. Or is that Renesmee's power? How she's sending the vision to him, but he's also imprinting at the same time. Unclear. Anyway, the wolves are coming and there's this fake fight. Edward just leaves his 
his dead wife upstairs to, <laughs> to rot while he's like, I've got to go downstairs and fight some wolves. Back later, Toots. And yeah, we've seen these wolves fight. We've seen the vampires fight. They're usually a lot more aggressive, but they're practically hugging each other. They're pulling their punches. Emmett's just climbing up a tree. Like, I don't think any of them are interested in hurting the other ones. And that's when Jacob comes out and he's like, guys, let me call off the dogs. I've actually imprinted on the baby. Um, and Edward explains to us that Jacob's imprinted and none of the wolves can now hurt her because you can't hurt an imprinted person. That's their most absolute law. I mean, I didn't know that the werewolves of La Push were so hell bent on legalese. They're all about the treaties. They're all about absolute laws. Maybe they should moonlight as lawyers in their day lives. Like, because they're, they're obsessed with the word of the law. So yes, it is their absolute law that someone that's been imprinted on cannot be harmed. Even though you can break laws. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, like people are breaking treaties left, right and center. You can break a law. There's punishments, but you can break a law. But I don't think wolves can. Maybe it's a bit more ingrained in them that they actually can't break laws. Who the fuck knows? And Edward doesn't seem that bothered as he's saying this out loud to his family. He's like, oh, Jacob imprinted on Renee's May. We're all good. Um, and none of them are like, wait a minute, what? <laughs> like, not even Alice is like, what's imprinting mean, by the way? Esme's not like, can we circle back on the whole um, he wants to fuck a baby thing? I guess Edward's seen that Jacob's mind is pure in this moment, but I'd still be freaked out if my... 32nd year old baby was getting imprinted on by a grown ass man. Like that's, that's just me. So then Bella's like dead, not dead. Um, they put her in a nice blue dress. They sponge her down. She still looks like absolute shit, but the change is coming. And then we get a montage of seemingly every single scene in the whole saga so far. We even get a scene of like the meadow, but he's not shimmering and glittering there. Cause I guess they didn't want a continuity issue. I don't know. I don't know if they edited that in post or whatever, but yeah, we get the truck crash. We get scenes of Bella that Edward wasn't even in. It was like her whole life. And then we even get a scene of her in the future, holding a baby, visiting Charlie in another bad wig. So I don't know how her whole life flashed before her eyes for stuff that hasn't even happened yet. That doesn't make any fucking sense to me. Then she turns into a vampire. And like, I will say seeing the transformation like her body coming back to life and even more makeup than her wedding day just seemingly gets plastered onto her face magically. And then her eyes opening and turning red. That's kind of fun. I mean, it's just nice to see Bella Swan wearing mascara, to be honest with you. But yeah, no, it's kind of fun. It's kind of exciting. A good ending to a pretty useless movie. (laughs) I mean, come on. But it's what we wanted. It's what we wanted. And it was great. And I don't know how this TV show is going to do this and make it feel fresh or exciting because where else is there to go? What else are we meant to be doing with these characters that hasn't been done in this adaptation? I don't know. Like how is another creative team going to make the imprinting on Renesmee work? Like, I don't, I don't think it can work. I think they did their best with throwing montages at us and showing future Renesmee in a bad wig running through a forest, but it's still creepola. So yeah, I don't know if this television show is going to happen. What are your thoughts? Let me know. Hit me up at Breaking Down Bad Books on Instagram, Pod Breaking Down on Twitter. Go to BreakingDownBadBooks.com. Find all the links and shit there. Um, Mike was great in this movie, so you can go and get some Team Mike merch at BreakingDownBadBooks.com. And you can also head over to the Patreon, patreon.com slash BreakingDownBadBooks if you want to get in on the Allegiant recaps. And so, okay, with part one done, let's tackle part two. So I'll see you guys for the second half of the book. Bye. Send your burning thoughts, frustrations, and grievances on this latest chapter of this shitty book to breakingdownpod at gmail.com or on Twitter at podbreakingdown and Instagram at breakingdownbadbooks. You can visit www.breakingdownbadbooks.com for all the listen links, contact information, merch, and more. To support the show on Patreon and gain access to exclusive ad-free bonus episodes, visit patreon.com slash breakingdownbadbooks. Ratings and reviews on your preferred podcast platform are also a fun, free way to support the show. Breaking Down Bad Books is hosted by me, Nathan Brown, who you can follow on Instagram and Twitter at NathanBrown90. Thanks for listening and happy reading. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 